Okay, let's show that slide up there. This is what we do in September of every year. We go through, God brings all these people to our church, and about 15 years ago, the pastor said, well, what are we supposed to do with all these people? We came up with four things. We're supposed to encourage them to be four C Christians. We want them connected with God. That happens through the cross. I'll explain that in a moment. And see the car there? Jesus is, Jesus is in the front seat. Who's in the back seat? You. You should be. Okay? That's uh, Jesus taking control of your life. And then you need to be connected with your Bible. We'll talk about that too. The church and the world. Today we're going to zero in on the world. The world. <clears throat> what does connecting with the world involve? Three things. First of all, your world is your immediate world, which is your family, your friends, your close connections with, whether it's at work or whatever. This is your first world. And we said that the Christian should be involved in personal evangelism. Evangelism, the word means, the Greek word means good news. So you're supposed to be sharing with those people good news. God expects that. We call it witnessing, lots of other things, but personal evangelism. That's your first world you have to connect with. Second, as a Christian, you need to connect with your community. That's the Fox Valley. That's where we live here. And then thirdly, globally, the world. Now, we're going to cover all of that today. Uh, and I want to go to a place in the scriptures to teach on this where Jesus explains to us in very clear format what you and I can expect when we do that. When we connect with our world, what happens? Uh, Christmas is almost, it's coming pretty quick here. C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis said Christmas makes no sense at all if there's not something terribly wrong down here. C.S. Lewis says God coming to earth, no reason for him to do that unless there's something terribly wrong. Listen, Jesus comes to earth to change things. Sometimes it's radical. He said, I didn't, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to divide a father against the son, a mother against... Oh, Jesus is saying there's going to be some tension when I come and what I say. But ultimately, he comes for what? Good news. Whatever changes occur, ultimately, it's for the good. And so the passage I'm going to take you to outlines the good that God does when he connects with the world and when his followers connect with the world. Okay? Let me show it to you. Luke chapter 4. Here we go. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues, and everybody praised him. He went to Nazareth. What's Nazareth? His hometown, right? Where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, <clears throat> excuse me, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what Bible scholars call this portion here a messianic prophecy. A messianic prophecy. A messianic prophecy is when that, that passage was read 
everybody in the room knew that verse belongs to the Messiah. That verse describes the Savior of the world. Jesus is reading that verse to the people in his hometown. Verse 20. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. I'm going to say it backwards. Wow. (laughs) This is incredible drama. Picture the scene here. Jesus is reading one of the most popular passages on the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He's doing it in his hometown. You could hear a pin drop. And then he looks at them and he says, today, those verses fulfilled right here. You're looking at them. I am the Savior of the world. His disciples must have been sweating. What's he doing? They're probably sweating more than Britney Spears on Jeopardy. (laughs) Jesus is not only telling them that he is the Savior. He is writing out a blueprint on who he comes to save. Who is the target? Now, look up here. If Jesus makes these people that he lists the target, then guess what? If you and I are going to connect with our world like Jesus did, he connected with the world. If you and I are going to connect with the same world, we got to be connecting with the same people. And there are five categories. I'm going to go through each one. The first is the poor. Chapter 4, verse 18. Let's read it again. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, what's he to- who's he talking about? Well, there are different categories. Oh, they're not. The first one we think, of course, is economic poverty, material poverty, out of cash. And uh, let me throw some statistics at you. Half the world, let this one sink in, half the world lives on less than $2.50 a day. Half the world. That's 3 billion people, by the way. 80% of the world lives on less than $10 a day. Let me translate that for you. That means the poor in this country are richer than half the people in the world. You try and live on $2 a day. The middle class, you and I, we're rich compared to most of the world. Uh, So, Jesus cares about the poor. Now, by the way, I got a pause button. Every time I preach on this, well, then, you know, if you're wealthy or you're middle class, there must be something wrong. No. Look, nothing wrong with money. Some of Jesus' best friends were wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea, who he used his tomb, took him off the cross. His, one of his best friends in the New Testament is Lazarus, the father of Martha and Mary, living in Bethany, just over the hill from Jerusalem. <clears throat> one of his best friends, very wealthy man. Abraham, wealthy. Job, wealthy. So it's not about your wealth. 
But God does have a special interest in those who suffer, even materially, the poor. He cares about them. Uh, Paul says in the New Testament, when he's talking to the church, don't forget the poor. Whatever you do in all your ministry, don't forget the poor. And that's why we, we spend literally hundreds of thousands of dollars. We do. Over the years, we have in the Fox Valley community, without apology. We feel like we're, we're following our Savior, whether it's the homeless shelter, whether it's the Hope Clinic that we built, whether it's the St. Joe's Pantry, you name it. In fact, we have a ministry. Uh, Cheryl Bogdan oversees our community outreach ministry, and I, th I told her, give me a report. Let me see what we're doing. Fox Valley Shelter, Homeless Connections, Cots, Feeding America, you name it, Levin, Loaves of Fishes. Why do we do this? And by the way, do you know how much you have given year to date to the poor? $175,000. That's phenomenal. And we want to do a lot more. Why do we do it? It's our marching orders. It's the target. And, uh, of course, you can't just limit yourself there, though. There are more poor people than just those who are materially poor. There is, and I'm going to preach on this in a couple of weeks. In October, I'm doing a two-part series on biblical ethics. What's ethics? Right and wrong. Your morals. And this country, I'm telling you, people, have, people are poor. They have poor values. They don't, some don't even know what right and wrong is. But I think the main category here Jesus is referring to is spiritual poverty. People who really don't know what God has planned for them. Uh, and this really moves into another category he lists there, which is the blind. That's what happens. When you're spiritually poor, when you don't have a connection with God, you're actually blind. In fact, a lot of the people in the testimonies today, both at the 8, 9, 30, 11, you're going to hear it. I took, God took the blinders off. I was blind. Two questions people are asking me today. Someone asked me this week, what do you do when you prepare a sermon? I said, I'm trying to answer two questions for people because I think everybody's asking these two questions. The first question is, who am I? Why did God create me? I mean, am I significant at all? Who am I? And then secondly, where am I going? What's the future hold for me? Where am I headed? Jesus wants you to know those answers. You're not an accident. You are somebody very, very important to God. He created you for that reason alone. He took the time to create you. You have a purpose. And listen to me. It's not just to do. A lot of things, well, I was created to do. Yes, he may have a plan for us. For, it says he has good works for us planned and prepared for us to do. But that's not the main reason why God created you. He created you for relationship. He doesn't need us to do anything. He can do it. He creates us to love him, to know him, to walk with him, to eventually trust him and to obey him. You are not an accident. You were made to actually last forever. You weren't supposed to die. Every time I go to a funeral, I'm thinking, Lord, this was not supposed to be. It's not was your intention. But what happens? Sin messes you up. Sin messes me up. It messes all of us up. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Jesus comes with the, with the gospel of what? Grace. This church is a church that preaches the gospel of grace. And here it is. Let me explain it to you. <clears throat> Jesus goes, God sends him to earth. Now, he does two things. First thing, he goes to a cross. And why does he go to a cross? Because you and I can't get, can't get to heaven 
by doing anything. We, there's nothing we can do. No religion. I don't care if you were baptized, confirmed, what label you got, whether it's Catholic, Protestant, Baptist, Alliance, it doesn't matter. You can't do enough religion. You can't do enough good things to get into heaven. It'll fall short, it says in Romans chapter 3. It'll all fall short. You won't get there. So God has to send his son to do what? To die in your place. To pay the penalty for all the stuff you're ashamed of. That you have done, and I got news for you. You're doing right now. And he knows it. And all of those sins, past, present, future, he takes on his shoulder. He pays the penalty. And he gives you a clean slate. Wow. That's what he does at the cross, but that's not, that's not all. He just doesn't pay for your sins. Here's what he does. Because if that's the case, he would come to earth, go on a cross, die, it's over. That's not what he does. He comes, on a, he comes to earth, and he lives a perfect life. No sin. He lives a perfect life. And here's what the Bible says. God the Father takes that perfect life, and he, it's an accounting term that's used. He credits that, his perfect righteousness, his perfect life, and he credits it in your account. We all have an account in heaven. But of, of all the things we've done right, all the ways we've disobeyed God's law, if we're going to stand before God based on our own works, it's going to fail. God the Father takes his perfect life and credits it in your bank account. So when the Father looks at you, he sees perfect life. He sees all your payment for all the sins, past, present, and future. Here's what God says. God the Father says, not guilty. Enter into heaven. Is that not good news? That's phenomenal. That is phenomenal. I know about you. I spent 24 years of my first years of my life. Working my way, working my way, going to church, going to mass, doing the things I got to do. And then I read my Bible for the first time, and I realize it's already been paid. He's already lived a life. How do I get in? How do I get my ticket punched? Here it is. Two things. Believe, surrender. I got to first trust. I got to stop trusting whatever I'm trusting in, my religion, my pedigree, everything, my goodness, and just rest by faith. And what Jesus has done for me, not just for the whole world, for you, for personally. And then secondly, and this is where people say thanks, but no thanks. <sighs> I got to get in the back seat. He's got to get in the front seat. I got to turn, truly turn everything in my life. My family, my wants, my desires, my careers, my recreation everything, my sex life, everything over to Jesus to do whatever he tells me to do. And when you do that, you get in the back seat and you really give up control. That's where a lot of people are going to say, uh, thanks, but no thanks. I like running my own life. When a person does that, believes, surrenders, here's God's answer. New birth, born again. That's when the Holy Spirit comes in not a confirmation. He comes in when you believe and surrender. He starts to work through you, as those people said. He's changing me. He's making me into a whole new person. 
Not some crazy, wacko, religious extremist like people think. That's what the devil wants you to think. You do that kind of business with Jesus, you surrender and give up control, you become some kind of wacko. You won't enjoy life. He's going to, take all, he's going to suck all the joy out of life away. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. That's the good news. That's what Jesus came to preach. But there are many, many people who are spiritually poor, and a lot of them are religious. They go to church every Sunday. But like many of these people are going to say today, where was this? How come no one ever told me this? They never went to a place that explained the gospel, and so they're blind. And thirdly, they become what? The next category, prisoners. Luke chapter 4. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Now, what does this mean? Well, of course it means, yes, people who are in jail and people need grace. The Bible says we ought to visit prisoners, and and this church has done a lot. We've had chaplains from this church. Um, We we do a lot for Fox Valley Jail Ministries. Um, But I don't, again, I just don't think Jesus is talking here about just people who are incarcerated or people who are put away from society for crimes. There's other kind of prisons. There's people who are trapped in addictions. Uh, all you got to do is just read what's going on with the uh, um, heroin and the uh, opiate crisis right now in this state. And not just that, not with drugs, with alcohol, with, with depression, with mental illness. There can be a present prison of mental illness. There can be a prison of sexual uh, addictions like pornography or people who are bitter or angry. They've been hurt so much. They, they're, they're in a prison of bitterness. It's eaten away at them. It'll destroy, do so much destruction in their life. Do you know, do you know how many homicides there were in America last year? 15,000. Do you know how many uh, 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 suicides there were? Try tripling that. 45,000. People live in prisons. And, and, and of course... They live in this prison of pain. What are you and I supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to help them as much as we can. But I think what Jesus is telling us here is aim them towards the target who can help them. Connect with them, but point them in the way of Jesus because he can set them free from this prison. He really can. We've got lots of stories here. No matter what the addiction is, no matter what the... The, 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 the depression is no matter what. I'm not saying you're, you're not going to struggle here or there in life, but you can be set free. I'm driving. Some time ago, I'm driving, and I, and I see a guy from our church who's in, a, who's in an uh, assisted care living facility. And I knew he was in his 90s. I didn't know this, but he was about he was 99. He was going to be 100. And he's just a, he's a tall man and a very, you recognize him right away. And I, I saw him there, so I parked my car on the sideline. I, I didn't know if he recognized me and everything, but I came out because he hadn't been to church in years. And I said, Delmar, it's Pastor Episcopal. Pastor, come on in. And we got talking, and I said, Delmar, what do you, what do you want? What do you want me to pray for? He says, Pastor, I'm going to be 100 years old. Do not pray for me to get well. Please, do not pray for God to bless me physically. He says, I want to leave. And he says, by the way, I already squared this with God. We're good. But there's a couple of nurses that I'm working on. I want you to pray for them. 
You see what he's doing? Even though almost 100 years old, he realizes people who are in prison, I got to point them in the right direction. It's another category. Freedom from the oppressed. These are people who are kicked around in life by people or circumstances. They're taking advantage of them. So they're oppressed. And of course, we think of political oppression. And you know, it's true. We got some injustices in this country, but folks, I travel the world to speak. And I'll tell you what, you travel the world, most places you go to, especially where I go to in third world countries, you come back, you kiss the soil. With all of our issues, we still have, by the way, we still at least have a two-party system. I'm, in South, I'm going to South Africa to speak, and I got, I got, a, uh, I got an African uh, diplomat from the UN who travels all of Africa, and he tells me, sitting next to me, he says, Dennis, number one problem in Africa is the corruption. No matter where we go, no matter how much money or aid we throw at, it's the corruption that's the big issue. And he says, in most places, there is no two parties. There's only one. All our complaints about the options, at least we got two parties. So there's political oppression. But again, I think Jesus is zeroing in on spiritual oppression. What's that? The devil. The devil, look, listen to me. The devil has one game in mind for you, one plan, to destroy you. He doesn't just want to attack you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your kids. He wants to destroy your reputation. He wants to destroy your trust in God. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to destroy your witness. He's a liar and he's a destroyer. You, he, he, listen, he's there to give you a bad thought before you go to bed. He's there to tempt you as soon as you get up. He never stops, and he's got lots of followers. So, pastor, what should I do? Well, first of all, I, frankly, I don't have him on my mind all the time because he was, he was defeated at the cross. The Bible in Colossians chapter 2 says he was stripped naked, totally naked. He has no power over the believer. Now, if you're not a believer, all bets are off. But if you're a believer, he has no power over you, except to make you think he's got power over you. So how do you make him go away? The Bible even tells you how to do that. So he flees. James chapter 4, here it is, look at this. Humble yourselves before God. Humble yourselves, don't think you're so strong. And resist the devil, you got to do that, and I'm going to talk to you how to do that in a minute. And he will what? What's it say? He'll flee. He'll go away. How do you do this? I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you Jesus' strategy. Matthew chapter 4. Let's take a look at it. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he's hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the te- te- uh, temple. Listen, Jesus, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they'll lift you up in their hands, so you will not strike your foot up against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, devil took him to the high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Then the devil left him, 
and the angels came and ministered to him. What did Jesus do? Simple. He hit him with the book. He hit him with God's word. Listen to me. This is why you come, big reason why you come to church, not just to worship. You come to learn this book. It's a big reason why I can't do so much on Sunday. You got to learn how to self-feed. You got to learn how to study this yourself and not only study it and learn it and have it as a part of your life, but you need to memorize it. Why? So when you're in the temptation, when he's trying to destroy something, you, your kids, your family, anything, you are there to say, wait a minute. It is written. This is what God says. You're t- That's what Jesus said to him. He said, you're trying to tell me this, but my father says this. You hit him with God's word. You notice when, when Jesus gets tempted? When? He's weak and vulnerable. He's in the desert. The devil knows that. He's going to look for when you're weak and vulnerable. And notice what he says to Jesus. He tries to get him to doubt. If you're the son of God. If. He tries to, que- tries to get Jesus to question his sonship. Listen to me. If he's going to ask Jesus to question his sonship, don't you think he's going to throw a lot of ifs at you? If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. In other words, Jesus, you've got to prove to me, prove to me that you're the son of God. Where's the water? Where's the angels? Where's the evidence that the father even cares about you? The only thing that the devil can do to you is accuse you. And throw doubt into you. You got to get him on the run by spitting back to him, talking back to him. That's what A.W. Tozer said. You need to talk back to the devil with God's word. So when he says to you, you're a Christian, you tell me you're a Christian. Why are all these bad things happening to you? Why don't you feel better? Why don't you feel better closer to God? You call yourself a Christian. Look what you did. That's when you need to say, uh, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Don't tell me you have the power to say no to that pornographic site. You have no power to do that. Oh, I do. I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me. Don't tell me you can be faithful to your wife. No, I can. I have been given everything I need for life and godliness. Don't tell me because I fail this time that I should doubt my salvation. Don't try and pull that with me. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have been given to God. God will complete the work he started in me. God will complete the work he started in me till the day of Christ Jesus. You hit him. You hit him with what you know. Even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil. For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You just keep hitting him with what you know is the truth. Jesus sets the oppressed free. And then finally, this is the fifth category. The time of the Lord's favor has come. Who's he talking about? Leviticus chapter 25. This is from Leviticus 25. What Jesus is talking about here in the end is what's called the Jubilee year. This is amazing. In addition, 
you must count off seven Sabbath years, seven sets of seven years, adding up to 49 years in all. Then on the Day of Atonement, in the 50th year, blow the ram's horn loud and, and long throughout the land. Set this year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. Let me tell you what, let me tell you what happened here. Every 50 years in Israel, you know what they did? Two things happened. If you're a slave, you're free. 40% of the people in the Roman Empire in the first century are slaves. It's a big deal. 40% 40, 40 of them. So listen, a lot of people, if you're in the land of Israel and you're a slave, guess what? You're free. Second, you owe anything to anybody, even if you got so messed up, you, you had to sell your land. Guess what? Your land goes right back to you. All debts are forgiven. Wow. Why would God do that? Every 50 years, the Jubilee year. He wants everybody to have a clean slate. He wants to show mercy to everyone. Whether they're a Jew or a Gentile, everybody gets God's grace. You know how many, you know how many churches, Alliance churches there are in the world? 17,000. Do you know how many are in the United States? 2,000. Wow. 15,000 church, 15,000 of the 17,000 are overseas. Why? Well, because of this. The target audience for God is eventually the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, listen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Matthew chapter 24, watch this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Why do we have most of our churches overseas? Because that's the big target audience. We get the gospel to the ends of the earth, and guess what happens? Jesus comes back. Jesus comes back. But in the meantime, in the meantime, what's our marching orders? Get connected with God, with your Bible, with your church, and yes, with your world. Who's in my world? The blind, the poor, the oppressed, the prisoners. That's our target. That's your target. Let's stand for closing prayer. Lord, Thanks for making it rock crystal clear. And now we got our orders. This, there may be somebody here today, as I went through the gospel, they're thinking, I'm not in the back seat yet. I want to be in the back seat. Let me give you an opportunity today. This could be your day. You can mark it down. Today is the day I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. What do you got to do? You just right where you're standing right now. It's got to come from your heart. You gotta mean it, but you gotta say, Jesus, I am so sick and tired of trying to do this myself. I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I need you to come into my life and make me the kind of person I'm supposed to be. You pray that prayer and you mean it, Jesus will come in. He'll make you into somebody you never imagined you can be. Oh God, I pray that you'll continue to call people out, out from their, the darkness of their life into the light of the gospel.
Fill this place with people who are not self-righteous religious people, but are beggars who have found the bread and spend the rest of their life showing other people where the bread is. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the sweet, sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon all of us as we leave and God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.